This is Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. And uh, we are going to have a great show. This is your host, Jamal Dajani, and my co-host, Jess, Dr. Jess Ghanem. He is traveling, but we have in the house with us Blanche Shaheen, Uh, chef extraordinaire, journalist, and many, many other descriptions. But first, uh, the big news, Jerusalem, mm-hmm. what Trump didn't tell you, and this is something I'm going to talk about, and of course we're going to talk about later on some Palestinian cuisine, but President Trump's announcement on Wednesday recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital reflects of the worst aspects of this administration's policymaking. The president's selfish focus on his domestic politics and an incompetence that only made things worse. And I'll tell you how things are going to be very bad, actually, as we go on. And before I get to this, and many of you who have been listening to our show for months know that we've been warning about this. I've been talking about this, uh, Jess has been talking about this, you know, for for several, several weeks we've been, we've been, dis- we've been discussing this. Uh, I also want to welcome our uh, viewers on Facebook Live, and uh, we have many people who have signed in, and this is, you're now watching uh, Blanche Shaheen before the camera was on me. But anyway, I want to talk a little bit about Jerusalem because this is really important. Uh, You know, and as, as I said, we've been talking about it uh, for the past several weeks. And therefore, it really drives me crazy when I read articles in both Arab and Western media or watch pundits trying to relay how astonished they are by his decision, you know, with statements like, finally, the fig has fallen on American foreign policy or this is the final straw and so on. Did the United States ever had an even approach to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict? People who believed or were hoping it did, like many Arab leaders, are delusional. And I repeat this, they are totally and totally delusional if they ever believed any U.S. president had Palestine, Palestinian interest at heart, and especially Donald Trump. So, uh, you know, let's be clear. Trump's decision was all about placating his base. If you keep a tab about every decision he has made so far, it has been about pleasing his base, the neo-Nazi white supremacists and evangelical Christians whose blind support for Israel is based on hastening rapture and the return of Jesus Christ, but I don't want to even talk about this. They are also known as Zionist Christians. And uh, there is no other strategic rationale for taking this step now. Uh, If you look at the recent poll, there was a poll released today uh, about the popularity of, uh, or the lack of popularity of, of Donald Trump, it's in the 30 percentile, which is very, very low. And so he's trying to do anything to gain support. And of course, his base outside the white supremacist, you have all these people who the evangelical Christians who support Israel and so forth. And this is something he was playing, uh, for them. But, uh, I will talk a little bit about the damage of the announcement. You know, the damage of this announcement could be irreparable. For Palestinian President Abbas, for example, the consequences are profound. The final status of Jerusalem is perhaps the most sensitive issue in Palestinian politics. And without Jerusalem, there is no two-state solution. There is no Oh, there is no solution of whatsoever. So right there, you know, by Trump, even though, you know, towards the end he tried to kind of uh, 
play even-handed, yeah, but we are going to move the embassy. We're recognizing Israel as the, uh, I'm recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of uh, Israel. However, we haven't decided on the borders. That's all nonsense. Everything else he, he said after this is all nonsense. This is going to be all but trouble for the Palestinian Authority, even U.S. allies like Jordan and others uh, across the Arab world. They are going to have problems with the issue. The Jordanian population is 60 to 70 percent Palestinian, and this step likely could also cause instability there. The reality of this statement gives the Israelis a huge political victory and gives the Palestinian nothing. The other thing is, you look at it, Donald Trump totally disregarded concerns about the safety of American citizens and diplomats uh, serving in the Middle East. He totally dismissed all the calls from everyone. No one, no one supported this action outside the United States and Israel. Not the Pope. Not Christian leaders, they were make, making calls from the Holy Sepulchre, the Greek Orthodox, the Armenians, the Catholics, and so on. Not our closest allies like Britain, France, etc. They're all against it. The Arab world, Turkey, nevertheless, this is vintage Donald Trump. Donald Trump only thinks about, about Donald Trump and his own interest. You know, he disregarded everyone. Uh, Palestinians have already called for three days of rage. And I have a message, actually, for our, uh, my family in Palestine, my friends in Palestine, uh, indigenous Jerusalemites, Palestinians all over there. You have every single right to be upset. You have every single right to be angry. However, do not get engaged. Do not, what I'm saying, do not give the Israelis any reason to have anyone hurt there because I've, I've been watching the news and some young people are getting hurt there. It is not worth a single drop of blood of Palestinian blood, of Jerusalemite blood because you have already sacrificed a lot. Palestinians have sacrificed a lot throughout the years. They've been used as a pawn for Arab leaders for all these so-called leaders uh, sitting in Ramallah and elsewhere. Well, if they have a problem, if these people have a problem, Palestinian leaders, well, then, then they should sacrifice their kids, not these poor Palestinian kids who normally get killed on Israeli checkpoints while they're sitting comfortably in their homes and their palaces. Finally, Trump's decision is selfish, also, it is very selfish because it's also the, uh, disregards American foreign, uh, foreign policy, the, disregards uh, American security interests. And I tell you, this is all connected to the so-called Russia affair. There is no Russia affair. It is all about Israel. It's the Israel affair. Flynn, he's a pawn. You know, if you think about it, people have been for months talking about the Russia affair, the Russia affair, and so forth. Well, what did exactly happen? Flynn was used by Kushner, and we'll find out he was also directed by Donald Trump sooner or later. We'll find out the truth. And I guarantee you they received direct orders from the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to actually circumvent uh, the sitting president's decision, uh, Barack Obama, on the settlement issue. I mean, imagine you have a sitting president and you have, you know, the new administration working against the interest of the United States and under the, uh, or lobbying for a foreign power. And that's what they were doing. This is, this is the news. This is what not the mainstream media is talking about. They keep talking about Russia. Russia, basically, they went to Russia because they couldn't go to England. They couldn't go to France. They couldn't go to China. China would not have cooperated with them or collaborated. I guarantee you the prime minister of England would have picked up the phone and, and called Barack Obama and say, hey, you have your, uh, you know, pr your president-elect is working against your interests and so forth. So that's why they went to Russia, and we'll find out more about this. This is what I have to say for now about what happened. And I know I've uh, spoke too long 
but it, it actually requires an entire hour uh, about uh, what's going on here. And again, I want to welcome uh, Blanche Shaheen. And Blanche, you've seen her here on the show many times. Uh, I've known Blanche for several years. Uh, she's a journalist, but she's now also a, a, a chef extraordinaire. <laughs> and under other circumstances, where we were going to talk about the holidays and, um, and Palestinian cuisine. And uh, welcome to the show, uh, Blanche. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it is such a bummer. You know, it's like every time we want to celebrate something or move forward uh, with something, uh, there's always a wrench thrown at us in some shape or form. But, you know, that's why I do what I do uh, as far as Feast in the Middle East goes is to focus on the positivity within our culture and to celebrate the beautiful and rich historical uh, contributions that we have given the world. And a lot of it has been through cuisine. So I will continue to do that regardless of all the wrenches thrown our way uh, through uh, you know, our governments and uh, their lack of awareness. So uh, there's a lot of exciting things happening on my end uh, as far as Feast in the Middle East goes. Uh, I will be uh, teaching classes again at Drager's Markets uh, in the Bay Area in January and in March. And I'm also uh, hoping to be a part of the Fancy Food Show uh, in coordination with a company called Sadaf, and they're a Persian uh, food company, excellent quality products there. And I will be probably cooking around the clock for three solid days <laughs> and sharing uh, Arab cuisine uh, in a huge form, Moscone Center. If anyone is unaware of what the fancy food show is, it's kind of like when you go to Costco uh, and you get samples. Imagine that on steroids. I mean, it's out of control. It's like all the, the biggest... Uh, food trends uh, that are happening internationally kind of consolidated in one location. Uh, taking uh, <laughs> Moscone Center is massive, but when you're sampling this much cuisine, uh, you just don't eat lunch before before you come. That's all I got to say about that. So, <laughs> so uh, it's 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 a very exciting uh, exciting time uh, for what I'm doing and, and reaching out to people and being able to communicate with them live. And I found that even with my previous cooking classes, people aren't just interested in the food. They're also interested in uh, just the Middle East in general, actually speaking to a person that's from there rather than just getting our perspective through uh, a feed from mainstream media. So it's kind of nice to be able to interact with people. People have a lot of questions. They're very curious. And they want to know what's going on. Um, and so I'm happy to be a part of that. So how do you separate now, especially during these times, uh, cooking, cuisine, especially when most of your focus is on Palestinian cuisine from politics? Right. I mean, uh, I, I can imagine you're teaching people how to cook makluba and whatever, and then yeah. Im they immediately slip, slip into talking about Palestinian identity, cuisine, because at the end of the day, right here, what? Uh, Donald Trump tried to do is rob Palestinians of their identity, of their heritage, of their holy places. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, that's why uh, shows like my show, Feast in the Middle East, are so crucial right now because there is an uh, attempt to erase our identity on many fronts and say that we're an invisible people. And this cuisine that we have has, has lasted hundreds and hundreds of years. And so my goal is to make sure that this cuisine stays alive, that people know the origins, all of these words that people use in their jargon from uh, hummus to makluba mm -hmm. uh, are, are uh, Palestinian in origin. They're, they're Arabic words. They're based in Arabic uh, nomenclature. And so I want to keep that alive. And so it's very important to do so, even if it's through something like food, because food is very powerful medium to bring people together and to establish identity. And so I hope to continue to do that. Can you describe food as, in, in other words, as resistance? It can be, yes, uh, especially when uh, you have uh, food like makluba, which means upside down in Arabic, and that is a quintessential Palestinian dish. It was founded in Palestinian history and culture, and uh, when you start seeing uh, 
people use saying that Makluba is not Palestinian, it's uh, Israeli, for example. It's very interesting because Makluba literally means upside down in Arabic. It's a dish of cauliflower and rice and caramelized onions and meats and sometimes eggplant. Uh, you, you start to question, wait a second, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, there's, there's a... Uh, there are different levels of uh, ways that they try to render us invisible, and one way is through cuisine, and it, it, it is kind of sad to see that happen before my eyes. But, you know, I'm not going to go down uh, without a fight when it comes to that kind of uh, historical, uh, you know, screwing, so to speak. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's really important, and what you do is really important aside from what you do as far as teaching people cooking, period. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is obviously enjoyment. Mm-hmm. You could see me, I'm beaming when I talk about, about food. Right. Uh, everyone loves to eat. Everyone love, uh, you know, loves to be around a healthy table. Mm-hmm. But uh, at, the same, at the same time, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking when, we, when we, uh, we contacted you to invite you for the show, we wanted also to talk about the holidays. Right. And so there is a whole education uh, also uh, for Palestinian cuisine around the holidays. And people, many people don't know that, for example, Palestinians celebrate Christmas. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I, we, I get asked this question all the time. For some reason, they think, for example, Bethlehem is this mythical place in, in somewhere uh, in Utopia. It doesn't uh, exist. Yes. And, and maybe you want to talk a little bit about your attachment also to Palestine and, and your family. Where did they come from and how you celebrate Christmas and so forth? Sure, sure. So, you know, I'm my family's from Bethlehem. My mother's from Bethlehem. My parents got married in the Nativity Church where Jesus was born. And so Christmas is huge for us. And when I tell them that I'm Palestinian Christian, there's always these quizzical, like these puzzling looks like, what? How is that possible? And I'm like, okay, let's let's take this back. Where was Jesus born? Okay, he was born in Bethlehem. Very good. Where was Christianity born? Okay, uh, Bethlehem. That is where we're from. So I like to think we're sort of living stones. We are like, we are descended from the original Christians. And uh, so, and, and so a lot of traditions uh, come from, from uh, Bethlehem. So for example, uh, we celebrate uh, uh, Santa Burbara. Burbara is a food uh, that's made of wheat berries and we add all of this fun stuff to it like uh, pomegranates and coconut and cinnamon. And so it is to commemorate uh, Santa Barbara, Saint, Saint Barbara uh, in Palestinian culture. And so we celebrate that every year. And it, there's a, a huge story about Saint Barbara and how she was fleeing, fleeing persecution. Um, and so she escaped through wheatgrass fields. And as she escaped through the wheatgrass fields, the wheatgrass grew behind her and so helped her escape so they couldn't find out where she was. So the wheat berry, when you grow wheat berries, it, it, it creates this green grass that they like, they like to grow to commemorate Saint Santa Barbara. And so that, it, it's like little traditions like this that have been passed down in my family. Who knows how long they've been doing this? Well, well since, probably since, since, since Jesus. Since Jesus' time, right? <laughs> so, so uh, there are lots of uh, beautiful traditions that they maintain uh, all over the world throughout the diaspora, whether it's here in America or whether it's in South America and Chile or Ecuador or all over the world, really. Um, and so uh, Palestinian Christians are very strong and very much a part of the fabric of the United States and of other countries. And it's so it would be a shame to render us invisible, be, especially to Christians and to the so-called Christian evangelicals that, you know, uh, don't seem to exist our uh, don't seem to acknowledge our existence. <laughs> it's kind of sad when you think about it. It is. Uh, it, it is uh, very sad. And actually, uh, you're bringing me back a little bit to talk about uh, Trump's declaration, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe we'll even get a, a soundbite from from what he he was saying. But there there is I don't know if this is the segment, but I'll I'll try to at least we'll we'll listen to a sure. piece of it uh-huh. because it is something that he refers to something about Jerusalem and religions there. Mm-hmm. Let's listen, Jerusalem is not just the heart of three great religions, but it is now also the heart of one of the most successful democracies 
in the world. Over the past seven decades, the Israeli people have built a country where Jews, Muslims, and Christians, and people of all faiths are free to live and worship according to their conscience and according to their beliefs. Uh, when it comes to freedom of uh, worship right. under Israel, this is non-existent. And this yeah. is the biggest uh, propaganda or the biggest Hasbara, as uh, the Israelis like to use uh, their terminology for propaganda, uh, Hasbara, that uh, Jerusalem is an open city. Everyone everyone has equal rights. Everyone has right for, for worship. And, and it's really important to talk about this during this time of the year when Christians right. are who live in Bethlehem or who live in Ramallah and other areas are prevented by Israel's apartheid wall and uh, Israeli checkpoints from traveling to Jerusalem. I mean, this is during the holidays when Christians go to visit their families in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, in Nazareth, all over. But imagine the birthplace of Jesus Christ. Christians have been living there all their lives. They cannot travel this This time of the year without the permission, without a special permission to go just to Jerusalem. Yeah, my grandmother lives in Bethlehem. She's Christian. She cannot go to Jerusalem and pray anytime she wants. It's it's exceeding, hugely difficult for her to get to Jerusalem, if ever. Um, and so she rare. I, I don't even know when's the last time she visited Jerusalem. And so when he says this is free for everyone to worship, he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. And I I was just in awe that he's the very first president to give away like this crown jewel to to put the embassy there with nothing in return, like no guarantees from Israel that they're going to stop settlements against international law, for example. I mean, he he goes against international law and comes up with this unilateral decision with nothing in return, nothing. And then he says that he's doing it in the interest of peace for all parties. What a load of baloney. Like, does he think we were, were that <laughs> stupid? It's like, Come on. Well, the, the, it's, <laughs> like, it's exactly. That's why when we're talking about, you know, during this show and about, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Christmas, that Palestinian Christians are not able to travel freely, Mm-mm. you know, to their holiest city. They have three holy cities, basically, in Palestine, Nazareth, Jerusalem, and Bethlehem. They cannot travel freely. Right. You know, without special Israeli permissions, those who live in the West Bank, and never mind the uh, Palestinian Christians who live in Gaza. That's a whole, a, a whole different uh, yeah. scenario. They cannot leave. Uh, it's easier for them sometimes to travel through Egypt, imagine, than, than traveling through their homeland. Yes. Uh, and, and then again, for uh, Palestinian Muslims, uh, Palestinian Muslims during Ramadan, during Friday, Friday prayers, uh, imagine a country comes with this uh, proclamation and says no one under the age of 40 is allowed to travel to this particular church or this particular synagogue. Right, right. Israel has in the books at any time they call on this this clause and they say, you know, no one under the age of 40 can travel and pray at Al-Aqsa Mosque. Mm-hmm. And they get, get away with it. That's why many people see these images uh, you know, of Palestinians uh, uh, praying in the streets. Mm-hmm. They're trying to do what they can. Uh, it, it's kind of like here in America. It's like saying, okay, well, uh, if, you're, if you're in San Francisco, you cannot go and pray in a church uh, in uh, Texas. You can't go. Uh, that's, just, that's just the reality over there. But, but they paint these, this, this flowery, flowery language uh, that really uh, is a complete disillusion. Um, and I don't know why he did something so irrational at such a volatile time. I mean, here we are, we're dealing with North Korea, we're dealing with so much. Um, and for him to do this, uh, I'm trying to come up with solutions as to, or, or descriptions as to why. And I still really can't figure it out. Well, I mean, I talked you about know. this earlier, the why Trump couldn't care less about uh, the rest of the world or America, and of course, certainly not the Palestinians. He cares about his base. Right. And this is something, I mean, he's losing actually his base, and he probably is thinking, well, I can rally the base 
back, you know, the the evangelist Christians uh, because they've been asking for this, but also maybe I'll get uh, the support, more support from uh, APAC and Jewish groups mm-hmm. and uh, those even who are part of the Democratic Party to, you know, to join the parade. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you watch uh, uh, recently uh, Fox News, uh, you'll see... Uh, Alan Dershowitz, he's their new darling. Yeah. Well, Alan, and he's always defending Trump, and he's always, of course, he praised the announcement about the Israel is the capital of, I mean, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Of course. Uh, but Alan Dershowitz was uh, supporting Hillary Clinton. He's historically a Democrat. Oh, yeah. So he's looking for more of his ilk to join his parade. Well, Chuck Schumer also supports this decision. I mean, it's really that we don't, it's really a bipartisan decision. He's pleasing Congress and the Senate. So it's not just constituents. I mean, he's pleasing all of these people that, you know, want this very controversial decision to take place. Uh, Another Another reason I thought maybe he did this was to get mainstream media off his back because, you know, mainstream media has been highly critical of his every move since he became president, more so than any other president in our history. And it'll be interesting to see after this decision if mainstream media backs off, because right now, if you look at The New York Times, if you look at CNN, they've really backed off already on all this uh, Russian uh, hysteria already and within a day. I mean, it's like crickets. Um, and so we're going to continue to see this. And it'll be very interesting to see if all of these uh, mainstream media news outlets now all of a sudden think Trump is the best thing since life spread because of this decision. Yeah, this is a, actually a very uh, important observation that we should all uh, watch for. I Absolutely. think uh, you're making a lot of sense here. Back to cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Back to cooking. But this is how the this is how our show goes. Yeah, <laughs> it's very very lucid. Uh, I want to remind our listeners on uh, KPOO eighty nine point five FM. This is Arab Talk, and of course our uh, viewers on uh, Facebook Live. We are talking to Blanche Shaheen, and uh, Blanche is a journalist for many years, but also is a. Uh, she, take, she took up cooking. Yeah. <laughs> and amongst other things, I think you teach also Zumba. Yeah, I'm all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> so, so you're all over the place when it comes to actually healthy things. Yes. And oh. so this is a question I'm sure you're, you get asked about all the time. It's the holiday season. Mm-hmm. How can we eat healthy? <laughs> you know, I love that you asked this question because... I have something, a tool that can help anyone really survive the holidays and come out healthy. And uh, one of it is intermittent fasting. And it's funny because in the Middle Eastern culture, people practice fasting for Ramadan, uh, for Lent, uh, and people... People always think, oh, you know, that's just a religious thing. You know, fasting, that's kind of crazy. Why do people do it? But if you just eat within the confines of like, you know, maybe 12 12 hours or less a day, and then you fast the rest of the time and not put a single thing in your mouth, nothing that can elevate your insulin, you'll be amazed. You'll probably emerge victorious from the holidays and not have gained a single pound because it's all about insulin, you know? And it's funny, they were so wise back then to practice fasting, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's like they were onto something. It's like we do soon, I guess. Yeah, there, there are so many uh, benefits to the body from fasting. Um, we've been taught to eat every two hours like cattle. That's not really how humans are supposed to live. Um, <laughs> yeah, as you look at them, Sachin, I brought over for you. Well, um, well, <laughs> well that's why I'm, I'm actually going to show it. I was are trying to figure out a way because a way to show it. or if we can well I mean chicken is it healthy it is very yeah. healthy well, that's olive organic. oil it's organic chicken uh, so Musakhan is or- organic so, chicken so, so and, guys uh, <laughs> this is something I cannot show you over the radio but those who are watching uh, watching us uh, on Facebook right. live there this is go. what uh, um Blanche uh, has brought us right here. Now, this is a Palestinian this, dish. This is a <laughs> Palestinian. Di- this is a Palestinian dish. It's called msachan. So, I want you to describe it to our listeners. Yeah. So, uh, 
It's it's chicken that's been marinated in lemon juice and garlic and olive oil and some mac, which is a, some mac berry. It's got a beautiful purplish color. Uh, and it's got a lemony flavor as well. And so after it's been marinated, you actually bake it on bread. Uh, back in the day, they or in Palestine, they bake this chicken like in a taboon, which is a clay oven. But you could do this at home uh, and bake it in your oven. Uh, usually you pita bread. And it's great because all the juices from the chicken leach onto the bread. The bread absorbs all the flavor. Then it's topped with caramelized onions, more sumac, and toasted pine nuts. So... It sounds delicious. I mean, yeah. I know it is delicious. <laughs> so, so you can adapt it to the American palate. So you have a lot of Americans that might be listening to this saying, well, I, I don't eat bread. I'm low carb. Okay, use low carb tortillas. Or if they're like, well, I only eat a gluten-free diet. Well, you can, you can use gluten-free bread. You know, the, there's so many adaptations now because we've got everything at our disposal in grocery stores. It really sky's the limit as far as what you want to add to, to your, to your msachen. And I have... Uh, uh, my very first video was on Amsechen. It was overly ambitious. I did like a five-part series, which wasn't really adaptable to the YouTube format. So I decided to more recently upload, I think it's like an under 10-minute tutorial in one video where I teach how to make this. And it's so easy to make with uh, ingredients that are easily obtainable from any uh, grocery store, really. I just want to actually show our <laughs> Facebook Live What's viewers. up, Facebook? Yeah, <laughs> this is for you. <laughs> this is for you, and then and 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 show them uh, where we're at, uh, of course, uh, at KPOO, because we are we are having many viewers, some as far as Norway. I've just had somebody wow, from Norway. Really? We have people from Haifa. We have people, of course, all over the United States. Mm -hmm. We have Australia. We have the UK. And the, so shout out to Europe and Australia. Yeah, and the huh? list uh, the list is growing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the the most recent uh, person who watched uh, who joined us, welcome uh, Gunther Brewer from Norway. Cool. Uh, What's up, Norway? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, okay, now let's talk a little bit about the sweets. Oh, sweets. And uh, yeah. you know how can you make that healthy? But. First, let's talk about the non-healthy sweets. <laughs> the holiday, the Palestinian healthy sweets like kaku ma'mul. You talked about the barbara, which is... Uh, yeah, barbara is Barbara, which awesome. is really uh, delicious. Uh, what else? So, I mean, we make everything. Like, I'm going to be making a whole tray of, of baklava. I brought you some baklava made by an Egyptian family. Uh, it's pretty cool. They're starting their business uh, locally here in Silicon Valley. So I, I didn't have time to make the baklava or batlava is how we call it for you in the same token. But honestly, if you incorporate, well, this is my trick, okay, Jamal. What you have to do is eat like the proteins and uh, like eat them sachan with a lot of greens, a lot of veggies and whatever room you have, eat the sweets, you know, whether it's um, tabak also, it's, it's a Palestinian del uh, delicacy where we take like a, a farmer cheese, we leach the salt out of it and we melt it and we put phyllo dough over it with like sugar syrup. It's the rustling you're hearing is me opening the... Yeah, uh, he's opening the, the baklava, baklava right now. Yeah, that's, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with the audio, but I'm trying to also get you a, a picture of the... Uh, of the baklava of made the baklava. by this uh, Egyptian family. Yeah, so... Pretty Cool, like handmade by this woman. She makes it out of her kitchen. It's very awesome. Yeah, so his so, handmade, uh, handmade baklava, guys. Exactly, and she was selling it at uh, this uh, s uh, boutique in St. Francis. I thought it was very special, so I wanted to bring some over to you. But really, you can eat everything you want so long as you fast the rest of the time, Jamal. So, like, let's say you start eating breakfast at 11 o'clock and, you know, eat pretty much what you want within moderation till like six, and then bam, that's it, it's done. Till the next day at 11 o'clock, you'll be golden because it's all about insulin. It's more insulin than about calories. So I'm enjoying all the goodies that there, that Christmas has to offer me. Uh, it's just that I fast the rest of the time and, and it, it really works. Take it from me as a Zumba instructor. <laughs> well, I mean, it's easier said than done, right? Well, what you do is you drink you have, tons of water. Right. 
and your body gets used to it. So yeah, it's probably hard the first couple of weeks, but then your body gets used to it because we have a hormone called ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone. And it's, it's going to get used to eating on a body clock every day. But what you have to do is retrain your body to eat at different times. Once you retrain your body, then your hormones won't act up and be screaming for, for food. And then you can last longer and longer without food. It's really an amazing thing. And you actually have more energy and more mental clarity. It's crazy because you know what? It, your body uses your your body fat for energy instead. So here you have so. it, the Blanche Shaheen <laughs> diet, guys. I mean, you should market this. You could have Middle Eastern cuisine. I know, yes. And including sakhan and desserts. Yes. And then follow her 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 system. Right. So and if you, you lose weight. Well, if you go to my, my channel, youtube.com slash Blanche TV, I have a whole playlist on intermittent fasting. So I have a playlist on the delicious food that I make from our culture combat, uh, along with an intermittent fasting playlist. So you could like, you know, meld those two worlds together and enjoy food at its finest while losing weight at the same time. It's amazing. You're getting a lot of, <laughs> you're getting a lot of questions uh, that I can't answer. Somebody's saying, sure. can you talk about maftool? Maftool. Maftool is a hand rolled couscous basically. Uh, and uh, it is in, in Palestine, they hand roll the ladies sit around at the table and they hand roll this couscous by hand. And it's very hearty, very filling. And I even have a video of how to make Palestinian style maftoul, where I make the stew. It's a tomato and chicken based broth with lots of onions. And you add chickpeas to it and you make it with the with the uh, couscous. It is the best thing that you can eat this winter. I honestly recommend looking up Meftul on my playlist on uh, youtube.com slash Blanche TV. And it is, is it low carb or? Uh, it's high? not low carb, but it is high in fiber and it's really filling. So a little bit of Meftul goes a long way. So traditional couscous is made with refined flour. Meftul, a lot of it has burgul as the base or bulgur wheat uh, wrapped with wheat. So it's, it's super hearty, stick to your ribs type of food. So a little bit goes a long way. You don't have to eat a lot to get full. So people can get all your recipes really for free. Basically, yeah, they can. They and can get my the, recipes for free. So how, how do they access? Uh, so, so if they go to feastinthemiddleeast.com, which I'm in the process, uh, if uh, there are any good web designers out there, I'm in the process. Uh, I need to revamp my website, make it more user-friendly. There's so much that uh, that's going to be added to it. Um, but if they go to feastinthemiddleeast.com, they've got the recipes for free and also my YouTube channel. The recipes, the tutorials are there for free. No sooner yet you talked about Meftul, somebody posted, what about Frike? Frika is fantastic. <laughs> See, you're getting all these questions. <laughs> Frika is freaking fantastic. It's got most more fiber than probably any other grain on the planet. It's basically green wheat that's been uh, picked while it's young. Um, so it's got kind of a smoky, nutty flavor to it. Very filling, super high in fiber and protein. I think it's better than quinoa, to be honest. The only thing is it's not gluten-free. So for people that have a gluten-free diet. Hey, guys, take it easy. Yeah. Somebody now <laughs> says maklube. Maklube. People are now just posting all, throwing That's all awesome. these dishes. They have so much knowledge, your audience. That's what I love about your audience. Uh, maklube is fantastic. I've got a video on maklube, too. So basically, it's a one-pot meal where you have caramelized onions, either lamb or chicken, roasted cauliflower or eggplant, and you cook it in this pot. And it means upside down makluba. So what you do is you take the makluba and you flip it upside down. It's like a savory cake, you know, and, and the meat's on the top and it's, it's like caramelized onion goodness. It's, it's so amazing. You really need dessert when you eat makluba. It's, really? it's just beautiful to look at, you know? It is. It is actually. It's, it's a beautiful dish. I have this memory yeah. uh, going uh, to Palestine. I don't know if uh, one of our listen, listeners is a friend of mine, uh, Frida, uh, Frida Harb from uh, now she's in Switzerland, but she invited us to a friend, some friends of hers mm -hmm. in this small town mm -hmm. of Yanun. It's a small community. And then we went there. This is in Switzerland. No, no, this is in Palestine. Oh, in Palestine. But she, she lives in Switzerland. Okay. She's from, from Jerusalem. Right. right. Now they live in Switzerland. And then um, we were invited to this little uh, town. Actually, the reason we went there, talking about now the Israeli occupation, mm -hmm. this town was sandwiched between two Israeli settlements. Wow. 
and they were getting harassed day in day out by Israeli settlers who lived on the uh, on top of the hills and they basically lived off the land mostly uh, um, olive oil right. so they had olive oil and they used to come try to burn their olive trees so so these internationals and that's how Frida got involved these internationals set up in a, a, a small Post. They're so brave, the internationals. Yeah, they, They're so they, awesome. They, they set up a, them, they yeah. set up a post. The the town, well, of course, uh, they they welcomed them there. They lived amongst them, basically to videotape, to document, and also to to kind of drive them drive them away when they saw these foreigners coming with cameras when right. they used to try to sneak in at at night. Yeah. So they were very appreciative. Whenever Frida came into town. They they may, they had a big feast. I mean, they had very, of course, little resources, and the the woman of the town mm-hmm. uh, prepared this huge makluba awesome. dish, <laughs> and so we we awesome. came, of course, after traveling. Uh, uh, you know, that's why I have like uh, emotional memory with this dish, and we went there, and they had this huge, fantastic makluba dish for us, and that and we all wonderful. ate from the same. Tray. The same tray, the big yeah. fat tray, Yeah, right? they just poured it in the same tray, and yeah. it was fantastic. So you, you mentioned emotional memory, and that's what a lot of our food evokes is a lot of uh, emotional – there's a lot of history and emotions that are conjured up from this food. It's not just what you eat. It's the memories that they invoke, and so that's why – it's so special to have this channel because I feel like my family's extending globally and people are making these dishes at home and starting new traditions with their families. And so I feel like I have this awesome extended family. It's not that that the Palestinian culture goes beyond just the confines of my table now. And now it's extending to tables all over the world. And uh, let's talk about the, I mean, your collection, the recipes, because mm-hmm. uh, obviously when kind of you're collecting them, Yes. Some, I mean, which you've mentioned something very important, the family connection. They've been uh, with your family for generations. Generations, generations. Your grandparents, yes. your parents. Mm-hmm. So like makluba, msachen, uh, those are our Palestinian dishes that I'm keeping alive. I have garlic turmeric rice in there. I have kibbeh which is a bulgur. It's like the shepherd's pie of the Middle East, basically, except instead of potatoes, we use bulgur wheat. And we have like seasoned meat in the middle, and on, it's wedged with both sides with uh, bulgur wheat and more meat. Um, and it's sliced like a casserole, you know, very hearty uh, dishes that uh, have have come from my family that now, like, I could have somebody in Australia making it and, and they're uh, starting their uh, tradition in their family. Or I have people, like, people that have left their families in the Middle East and have settled down in the United States or in Europe and they're making the dishes from my family to remind them of the families that they miss so much or, like, new brides that want to uh, continue the tradition and their family have no idea where to start. They come to my channel and they learn how to make these dishes. Uh, a lot of these uh, people that marry Middle Eastern and they're they're not Middle Eastern themselves and they're impressing the, their families that they've married into by making these dishes because they're like, wait, where did you learn how to make this? Oh, I went to this channel and now I'm making this. And th- so they feel more connected to the family because when you're actually making the cuisine and you learn what it takes, you feel this connection that much more. And what you do you, what's your answer? I think I've asked you this before, but yeah. we might as well talk about it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, about culinary, and in this case, both culinary and cultural cultural appropriation. Right. When you hear or you see sites saying featuring, you know, of course, we know the traditional uh, Israeli mm-hmm. falafel or Israeli hummus right. or hummus, as they would uh, say it. But now. Even makluba, sometimes they it comes across as uh, right. trying to claim that this is an Israeli dish. Well, I'm partnering now with some Palestinian companies. It's really, really exciting. So, for example, I'm going to be doing a gift haul where you could literally give gifts from the Holy Land. So, for example, there's a company called Sea of Herbs, and they're a Palestinian spice and beauty company. And right now I'm partnering with them. If you want to use real Palestinian spices, like literally from Palestine, if you go to seaofherbs.com and in the promo code you enter Blanche20, so B-L-A-N-C-H, 
T-H-E-20, you get 20% off wow. their spices. That's a bargain. They send you makluba spice. They have the spice for makluba, for kibbe, for shawarma. Makluba for lazy people. For lazy, exactly. If you don't want to go through all the trouble of allocating all those spices, they have them there. And it, and I literally, oh, Jamal, I open the box. People don't know what Palestine smells like. I open the box of the spices it's what Palestine smells like. It's so awesome. Like it you took smell, you to the old city. Yeah, you smell the old city when you open up the box. It's like the biggest treat from the Holy Land that I can imagine. Another uh, one that's cementing their uh, identity is Cremazan. Have you heard of Cremazan uh, wines? Yeah, that's, that's, that's in Bethlehem. It's in Bethlehem. So they're literally making the wine that Jesus drank. Well, okay? people will a- would ask, <laughs> Palestinian wine? Yeah. They don't know. Yeah, well, these are, this is a Christian. It started. It's a Christian Palestinian monastery, and uh, one this Italian came over and taught them some great um, methods of winemaking. And so now, what they're using, they're using uh, uh, grapes that are indigenous to Palestinian vineyards there in the Silesian in the, in the Palestinian winery, and they're making incredible wines with it. They've got three different kinds. Uh, that are indigenous to that area. And now they made that wine available to the United States. Well, some of the oldest vineyards, I know that uh, as a fact, uh, were in Palestine during the Roman times and and, and so forth. Right. That's that's something uh, I know for sure. But also, like, there there is also Palestinian beer. Mm -hmm. They have the Oktoberfest. They do an October fest. Yeah. Isn't that great? There's like this. Yeah. Uh, they have this October in Taipei, yeah. in Taipei, right. which is uh, a beautiful village in Palestine. Of course, there is the Ta- people know about the Taipei beer, yeah. but every October there's this huge commotion over this, uh, this Oct- beer, o- October fest. That's awesome. Yeah. So they're, I mean, they're they're doing whatever they can with the resources at their disposal to keep their culture alive through food and wine and beer. You know, and it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's very important for people who want these communities to survive in the Holy Land to, to actually get the, to support them, to get the Cremazan wine. It's C-R-E-M-I-S-A-N. Or to go to Sea of Herbs and they get beauty products from from the, the Dead Sea and as well as uh, these indigenous spices. And olive I mean, it's oil, a way to incorporate course. the hol- oh, the olive oils. Yes. You we have the best. We, ha- we have the best olive oil and za'atar for Mena'ish. Yeah. The, our olive Olive oil is to die for. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, people buy olive oil. They don't know what they're missing out on when they don't get the Palestinian olive oil. The, the smell of it, the taste of it, it's so robust. It really hits you in the face in a beautiful way. Not a bad way, violent way. <laughs> but but uh, like Canaan Fair Trade, C-A-N-A-A-N, Canaan Fair Trade, they sell that. Or Zaytun, uh, also Daskara. These are like three companies of olive oils. And they're make, they're, I order their olive oils all the time to give my food that extra Middle Eastern authentic touch that you just can't get from an olive oil from Trader Joe's. I'm sorry. No, you know, no offense to Trader Joe's, but they just don't, they don't sell the stuff that I'm seeking. And it's so imperative for us to support these communities and these companies so that they can stay alive amidst all of this onslaught, you know? Tell me about uh, Palestinian addiction to kinafa. Oh, man, don't get me started. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Don't get me started. Why are Palestinians <laughs> so addicted we, to kanafa? We are obsessed. I am obsessed, obsessed with kanafa. Like if you said, okay, Blanche, tell me, what is the last food you want to eat before you leave this planet? It's definitely kanafa. It's got a cult following all over the world. No one does it better than Palestinians. I don't care who you are. The birthplace of kanafa is Nablus, right? Nab- Nabulsi? I mean, would you agree with me, Jamal? Yeah, 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 no, it is. I mean, it's the birthplace. And uh, kanafa is basically like shredded phyllo dough that's really buttery. It's colored orange for effect, but you don't need the orange coloring. But, I mean, yeah, it, it's beautiful orange. And it's it's uh, on top of this, uh, this sweet cheese that's been melted, and it's got the rose uh, s- sugar syrup on top with the pistachios on top of that. I mean, you just say kanafa, and it's like all of my neurons in my brain are like going off with, with smiley faces. I mean... Somebody, it, you, somebody, <laughs> just, somebody just wrote and, and said, uh, I guess uh, this is Najmi, yeah. kanafa is Jamal's favorite subject. It is my favorite subject. That's why Jamal <laughs> so and I go way back. How far back do we go now? I mean, we're just like, you know, brother and sisters united with kanafa in our blood, literally. And, and <laughs> it is delicious. And, and you're right. Nablus, yeah. of course, uh, there's something about the cheese there. 
Yes. You know, the type of, uh, of course, dairy, Dough, the milk, etc. Just everything. That makes it totally different. Of course, you have great kenafa from uh, Jerusalem, Jafar, and yeah. other places. But definitely the one that comes from Nablus is just distinct. It's totally. like a cut above everything else. Yeah. We have a few minutes left. Mm-hmm. I want to know what's going to be on Blanche's uh, holiday, I guess, dinner. Mm-hmm. That's a this very year. Good, that that's a very good question. Uh, for holiday dinner, we all have our favorites, uh, but kibbe is my favorite. So kibbe is uh, the bulgur wheat. Uh, and the meat, mince meat with the onions, and we shape them into footballs and we deep fry it, or we serve Ooh. it as a casserole. But we have some lemon fried. juice. I like to squeeze some le- lemon oh, juice on. That's it. a great idea. You know, we love lemon on everything. Don't yeah, we? I love squeezing <laughs> some lemon juice on the kibbeh. Yeah, so kibbeh. Uh, we also have uh, uh, Cornish game hens that are stuffed with what we call heshwa, and heshwa is a uh, we stuff it. It's like a aromatic rice and meat and turmeric. Uh, combination wow. that we put inside of uh, Cornish game hens. That's really popular for Christmas. And then for dessert, if I we get lucky, we'll fit kanafa in the mix. Otherwise, we might do gharaiba, which is a shortbread. It's an Arabic shortbread. Am I invited? Uh, all, oh, all I have to say. Yeah, yeah. You should come over, man. Anytime. Are you kidding me? Well, <laughs> we're, we're, uh, you've been listening to the uh, and watching uh, on Facebook Live. Uh, Blanche Shaheen. She's a mm-hmm. journalist. She's a chef extraordinaire. Follow her on YouTube. Check out her Facebook page. Uh, you get all the recipes for free. Uh, tell us about your upcoming classes for people yes. in the Bay Area. Yes. Where they're going to be. Yes. So they're going to be in Dragers. Uh, so uh, in uh, January 11th is the first one. Is I celebrate pomegranate in all its forms. Uh, four different dishes from the entree to the dessert, the, the main uh, and the uh, appetizer. And we get, you get wine on top of that. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. As long as, uh, as well as my instruction. So January 11th in San Mateo. And then I believe it's March 27th. And Menlo Park, and and all these announcements are on your website. They're on. They're going to be on my website. You could also go to DragersCookingSchool.com right. and ch- check me out as uh, under the chef's names uh, Blanche uh, Shaheen, and you could find my class that way as well. I'd love to see you and meet with you guys in person. Have you taste my food? This is. <laughs> this sounds great. So yeah. before we end the show, we have a, an announcement to make. This Friday, uh, join uh, at UC Berkeley. Uh, there is a powerful documentary, uh, and it's very timely about the current events and gives a greater context of how the Israeli lobby, the U.S. media, and virtually all elected officials occupy and control the American mind. Uh, it's going to be, um, uh, it's called the occupation of the American mind, Israel's relations war uh, in the United States. It's going, it's also narrated by Roger Waters, and it's going to be screening this Friday at uh, UC Berkeley. Uh, just uh, check out their website, and you get all the information about it. This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is 89.5 FM. We will see you next week. <laughs>